Hey everyone, welcome back to this lesbian ship is intense. I'm Katie. And I'm V. And we are back to talk about our new favorite show, Warrior Nun, which is sadly canceled. <laughs> I know you said our new favorite show and I'm just like that fucking sucks to say because like while that was a very exciting statement before like yay I have something new that I love now it's like oh I have something new that I love that I don't get to have anymore and I've lost it so quickly like you know what I mean like um so it just feels very strange it doesn't even feel like it's time for cancellation to be possible and I will see what the vibe of this podcast is because <laughs> I've weirdly had a really good day today despite this news and I'm feeling good, but I'm also very fucking angry about losing this show and the landscape of television right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it's going to play out as we get into this. Uh, yeah, and I, on the other hand, so got the news. Yeah, oh my God, I'm so fucking pissed off, Katie. I like, I worked my normal day and I was like let me pick up some food I'm gonna come home I'm gonna eat and then I'm gonna work on editing the podcast to drop on Wednesday super excited I fucking sit down with my food I take a couple of bites I open up my fucking Twitter and I see the post from Simon and I literally thought it was a joke like I could not believe that it was real and like stomach like dropped I grabbed a bottle of rum and went straight up to my like spare bedroom and just like got on a twitter and I was like this can't be fucking real um so I still had to edit the podcast and I've had like two hours of sleep I've been really emotional I I think that I'm in a state of like denial slash delusion right now so I don't know what I'm gonna be like in this recording either uh, it's one of those things that doesn't really feel real yet Mm -hmm. too so i think that's part of it like it just feels hard to process but before we talk about this more in depth we would like to talk about some (laughs) engagement that we've had on our podcast and um we just feel like we need to address this so v will you read uh this note that we got Yeah, so this is like I fucking woke up and saw that we had a message on our podcast Twitter. And I was like, oh, let's see what this is. Maybe it's someone else who's grieving um, the loss of Warrior Nun. And here is the message. I will try to read it as neutrally as possible. Could lesbians stop erasing bisexuality and calling relationships between bisexual women and lesbians lesbian relationships when same gender, same sex, WLW, and sapphic are right there? Or cover actual lesbian characters slash couples? Can lesbians ever not be a piece of shit? Is it possible for lesbians? And then it's the thinky face emoji. Um, and let me say I was um, not happy hold to read on. this. <laughs> I, I have to laugh. And I was trying very hard to contain my laughter as you read that. Because I got to hear you read it in your actual opinion. <laughs> and it was much funnier. <laughs> well, I don't want to see, and this is and this is why I'm angry, is because I try to, really hard to temper my natural responses to things in order to be respectful to people. So piss me the fuck off when I saw this person send me this damn message and then fucking blocked us. And I was like, look, if you're mad about something legitimate, like let's fucking talk about it. Don't fucking send this shit to me and then block me. And I racked my fucking brain, Katie, trying to think about what we did to invalidate 
bisexuals or other um, people on the LGBTQ uh, spectrum that don't identify as lesbian. I finally think I understand what this message is about. Did you get it immediately? Because it took me a long time. No. I fucking looked at our tweets, Katie. I was like, what the fuck did we tweet that would make someone mad? I finally am thinking, is it because our title of our podcast is This Lesbian Ship is Intense? And we is it our title? That's my only guess. We have no tweets that erase any other people that I can see. Oh my god. Okay, let's t- let's talk about this because <sighs> Okay. Number 1, we like to talk about communities and people that aren't addressed in media all the time. Therefore, we know we do not know everything. We will not get everything correct and we will not always have the right take on something. And therefore, we always say that we are really open open to other people talking to us about their feelings and their perspectives and changing our opinions and giving space to that. And up until this point, I think we've had a few issues, but like we've had very respectful dialogue with people Mm -hmm. and learned new things for ourselves and got to educate other people on things that they might not be aware of. And so it really frustrates me that that is the first interaction that you have with us when we're always listen open to listening to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was just, I think the block is what made me really angry because I was like, okay, this isn't coming from a place where you want to like share an actual grievance, where you want for me to learn, where you want to, um, you know, be apologized to. Because like, I I am a big apologizer. Like, if I fuck up, I will apologize to you because I think that everyone deserves to like feel validated. And so I don't know. I, I really like all I can think that it's because of the podcast title and I'm just kind of like annoyed now because I'm like okay if that's what it is then we could have explained that this is like a literal quote from our favorite tv show that we started this podcast from so like is our title the most accurate this lesbian ship no is this sapphic ship more accurate sure is it as funny no <laughs> so, like, right like there's room for comedy in life people <laughs> and there's room for references and just because you don't know the reference does doesn't mean that it's not useful and actually the funny fucking thing is that our title was spoken by a bisexual character exactly that's what i was thinking i was like oh and a my character God. who is portrayed very well as a bisexual in media i feel you know it's not like the characters of the first generation of the l word <laughs> it just makes yeah. it more fucking funny We need to be a little bit more harmonious, I feel. And so we need to understand where these words come from and the history behind them before we start attacking people. I just feel as if, though, it's impossible to be the most accurate and inclusive at all times. And so there needs to be some room for understanding of that. Um, Like, I very much remember... That people are different. Like, what people are offended by are different. And you cannot lump whole communities together and say that's the way it is, you know? 
Yeah, just this was not a. It just wasn't a fun thing to to wake up to, and I think normally I would have shut my mouth and like just bitched in the DMs, but like I was not in a place, so I fucking put that shit on my personal, <laughs> where I was just like, could you not? And then we decided to talk about it because it really made me mad, and I was kind of offended. <laughs> yeah, because Katie had no idea. I was like, so Katie, did you know that that was about our podcast? And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. Um, I, on the other hand, opened a DM today and I was curious about this one because it was a bunch of voice notes. I was like, <laughs> that's hmm, exactly why I didn't listen it? to it. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Cause I was like, I'll just stop immediately if it's bad, you know? Yeah. And it happened to be this charming person who benched first kill and was so into it and so happy and so happy binging our podcast episodes of return and was like sending me a theory that they had in our very first episode we did a first kill uh-huh and it just made me so happy that even beyond what we've done like our podcast can help these shows that have been canceled hopefully things will happen but we just don't know right like our podcast as it exists can help the things we love live on for people and that felt really fucking cool for me and made me feel good today so apologies (laughs) i had a different experience with you (laughs) i know i was like you really had like a good day and i really had a a crummy day (laughs) but i think that transition transitions us well to talk about this cancellation because (sighs) what what are words um it really fucking sucks about the only good thing that i'm reminded of when this happens to us is that the communities that we get to build together and loving something are really special and powerful things oh yes i so Oh my god. I think the reason that I'm living in this like denial delusion is because like I've just been too busy to like really sit with my feelings for which I'm grateful for because like I just don't feel like I have time to sit with my feelings because they can very quickly become very overwhelming for me. And I think one of the reasons that I've been able to avoid getting to that space is because so like like I said I, I saw the news and like I know it's not a healthy coping mechanism but I still did it I grabbed a bottle of rum and I went upstairs and I was like fuck it I'm gonna start drinking and I got on my phone and I think I started messaging um a friend and then they're like I'm gonna start um it's Ari so Ari was like I'm gonna start a uh a Twitter space and I was like fuck I'm joining because uh, I've joined a couple of Ari spaces and like the people that I've met through Ari and it was just a nice place to be with other people who are grieving it kind of reminded me of when we did that for first kill and mm-hmm. it quickly went from you know a couple of people kind of getting together to grieve together and be sad and be upset to so this other person took over um her i would think she's pronouns are she her uh goes by k on twitter took over and k has this energy of like having fun even in the sadness and like i really enjoy being there when k like does like i think i've been there when k's been there for a watch party um and so like 
it very quickly took me out of this place of sadness and depression and it was just like I can be sad and cry about this but I can also laugh in that crying and then like Uh I don't know how the fuck it happened but the space just like blew the fuck up like I don't know how much you know because I know you weren't able to join at its peak there were over 6k people in the fucking space like my fucking phone kicked me out and like had to restart at some point because it was so intense next thing we fucking know like Cheska and Brittany from BuzzFeed are there. They fucking invite KTY, who shows up. A fucking impromptu interview fucking happens. KTY invites Simon. Simon did come in, but was like, I can't talk. Like, I'll be emotional. It was such a beautiful space to be in with fellow fans. And I'm just so glad to have met people in fandom because we joined late. So, like, I didn't think that I was going to have any friends in fandom. And this has been really great for me. Oh, that's really nice to hear. And I'm so glad that that existed for people. I did not join the space because I did not know what was going on. And I did not want to become overcome by emotions about this. Um, Because, to be honest, I put a lot of myself into our first kill podcasting. And... I worked extremely hard because I knew what the fucking arguments were going to be for canceling it. And I knew the only way for uh, to have a chance was to, like, fucking start out of the gate running, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were fucking working our asses off. The hardest we've ever worked at this podcast. <laughs> and it still got canceled anyway. Because what they told us mattered actually doesn't matter. The goalposts are always going to move. Those things don't matter. And so all of the writing was on the wall with Warrior Nun. And because of some of the things about the show, I couldn't not have hope. Like, the quality is so high. Like, one of the things I fucking loved about Warrior Nun, and I don't think we get to see too much these days anymore is it had a really experienced writing team on it and so i think that's why the story just resonated so much and the fight scenes and like there's some stuff in the episodes we're going to talk today where i was like fuck i can't believe we lost the show and like so there were things like that and then you know the high critical reviews from the audience of the platform it just, it makes it hard to not believe completely, you know, but I still put those barriers up because I'm like, you know what, from my experience, it doesn't fucking matter. Netflix will cancel what they want to cancel. It doesn't matter what we do. It's not about fan engagement. It's about what their vision for their network is. And it does not include our stories right now. I just, oh, uh, it will never make sense to me why something will get like why like why start a thing that you plan to cancel but I agree with you I was very nervous about the show for a variety of factors but I kept telling myself like the critic scores the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes the cinematography the writing like there's just so much going for this show and I very very much feel like Netflix waited for the earliest moment that they could acceptably cancel so they waited until the four weeks marker had happened and they could say oh it's not doing well enough but they did it they didn't want to wait longer because they were gaining more traction like the buzzfeed interview with kty is coming out i think this saturday so like i just feel like they were getting more and more attention they were doing more and more interviews well netflix wanted to nip it 
And the fact of the matter is, first kill taught them something. They did not expect the engagement from first kill either, and they waited past the four-wing mark, and there's clearly a lot of fire on their backs Mm -hmm. for that still you know and they knew this was going to be the same thing um i have a feeling that netflix just from our convos with felicia and the way simon's acting i i feel like netflix probably treated them both very similarly and i just think that they did it to try to protect themselves as much as possible for this decision because the fact of the matter is Netflix Warrior Nun is only coming back if Netflix sells the rights. And the way that these streaming services are acting right now, I just don't even know if it's fucking possible. Like I want to believe and I want it to happen, but Netflix is truly fucking sucks right now, guys. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Like I have no like I think I tweeted about this like can they give us this kindness and I tweeted it in that way because it's just easier to tweet that way than to tweet, like, all of my complex thoughts. I don't genuinely think that Netflix is going to be like, oh, poor fans, they deserve to have, you know, like, I don't think that'll happen. I don't really know what will push them to actually let go of it. I don't, I just, I can't help it. I just have to fight. I can't, I can't give up because I just don't want to give in. It's bullshit. I feel so fucking powerless. I really spent Katie a large portion of yesterday considering a fucking career change (laughs) where I was like, what do I need to do to work more directly in media representation? Because I love doing this podcast because I'm passionate about it. Like I'm passionate about, you know, representation, representation for sapphics, representation for queer women of color. Um, And I'm just like, I'm so tired of feeling so powerless. And I'm just like, well, you just got to infiltrate and be the change. Um, This is, again, delusional. And I don't know that it'll actually happen. But I don't know where I'm going other than I'm tired of fucking dealing with this shit. You know, I've thought about things similarly and that what can we do with our podcast to keep highlighting these voices? Because recapping the shows, well, fun, I don't know if it feels like enough anymore. And like, Mm -hmm. what do we want to be shedding light on? What do we want to be talking about? I'm not sure. I have some ideas moving forward, but you know, we have jobs, we have to pay bills. Like there's a lot involved. Um, And that's also part of it and why this matters because like the day to day can fucking suck for us sometimes and the work that we do and sometimes I need an escape with my friends sometimes I need an escape by a vacation and sometimes I need an escape by just going into a different world and watching a tv show that I love and feeling completely at home in that world and that's part of what good sapphic representation does for me and I just I want to shed light on the people that are doing that. And also, I just don't know where our stories are going to be told in the future right now. Like, streaming is clearly struggling. And in its monopolizing, it is being run by these straight, conservative white men. And what they value is not our stories, plain and fucking simple. And then there's all of these, like, economic reasons and, and you know, market value reasons why these streaming platforms aren't working that's also feeding into the stories. And then there's, like, contractual things. I've been doing a lot of research on this. So 
interestingly, when streaming signed contracts with these unions, mm-hmm. they severely underpaid them. They agreed to severely underpay these people, basically. Mm-hmm. And to progressively pay them more as series gets picked up. Mm. So a series by its third season is far more expensive than Netflix in its first two seasons. Okay. That is helpful information because I've been like, what the fuck? Why do you keep starting shit and then fucking ending it? How is it financially? Because I get it. It's a fucking business. Um, so I never and understood. the thing is, this business model, it worked when Netflix was the only platform right and they were just existing off of subscribers and then they started to dive into really interesting stories that weren't being told on regular television because it wasn't a safe model yet those are the stories they needed to take on a chance on them as well as you know them take a chance to tell tv right that's why streaming was historically known as like more interesting diverse entertainment then, once all these platforms started trying to compete with that, they all, <laughs> you know, start have to gain attention somewhere. And eventually, they're all kind of falling back to what used to be the network model, which is like appeal to the masses type yep. of television, right? Ugh. So, I wonder, and I would like to see maybe, network television to compete with these streaming platforms start taking risks on television shows that maybe wouldn't traditionally be in that format and figure out a way to make them in that format as a way to compete, you know, and kind of change the game, get themselves back in the picture. But again, they rely on advertising funds, which determines programming, which is why we went to streaming in the first place. So we're in a real sticky situation about (laughs) what's going to happen here. Yes, I, I I need something to shift. I need something to happen because I feel like we're having this massive regression where like I don't trust that I can watch anything specifically on Netflix, but let's be real like anywhere, you know, and I feel as if though the only place that I can feel comfort are on things that I know that are only going to last like a season long. So like right now I'm really enjoying Gap um, on Saturdays and it's light, it is um, soapy, it's fun and I'm imagining it's going to only be like the episode, like one season, I don't really know and that feels comfortable for me. And so it reminds me of the days when, like, I couldn't find shit to watch anywhere. And so I'd watch random ass shit from all over the globe, like, on, like, on the internet, you know? And I'm just like, can I? I'm just, I just want to be able to watch television the way straight people can watch TV. Like, dear Lord. I know. And <laughs> and that's kind of the same reason why I've been really into NCS Hawaii lately. Because it feels like a procedural like that. Is that's aimed for the masses that's on network television that just gets you know multiple seasons Mm -hmm. um is our only way to get stories and by chance this is the one branch of that franchise that is character heavy so there's a lot for me to dig into even though it's a procedural which makes it worth it for me right and so i'm like is that the only way though like i love a procedural and i'm really enjoying it but like i don't want that to be the only type of story i get but it feels like something i can invest in right now because it's not going to just slip through my fingers tomorrow you know can we just acknowledge that there does seem to be a problem with women people of color and lesbians getting the main 
story treatment at Netflix because the white gay male shows keep getting renewed. Did you see that um, article that was like they listed a bunch of things that got canceled by Netflix and 13 of the 16 that they listed were uh, female led like um, like, yeah, female leads. And I was just like, you know, like it's very evident (laughs) what they don't. And this is something that is hard to talk about in media because especially in the LGBTQ space, because I am guessing that Young Royals and Heartstopper are written by some cool queer people and they're telling really cool stories for these guys okay like 100 and heartstopper has lesbian representation and has trans representation like i'm not hating on that show but a huge market for those two shows are straight white women like there is a thing in their audience and so it's not necessarily about the content being created it's about the marketing and the audience that is the challenge there and it's like how do we get over this gap in this bridge where like they want to watch lesbians too you know i think that's just going to continue to be a barrier for us and getting our stories told honestly i also think that it has a lot to do with marketing it's just like unfortunately i think that when something gets marketed if it gets any kind of marketing and promo, um, if it veers too much into the sapphic relationship, then I feel as if though that is a deterrent to um, a lot of people, unfortunately. And that's really upsetting. Yeah, there's a lot to say here. And we have more to say on it. And I'm sure we'll keep talking about it. But all of these complicated media analysis and feelings and everything like that at play, I just want to say... Continue to do what is best for you in the wake of a cancellation of a show. If you want to be upset for a little bit, be upset. If you want to fight, fight. If you want to, you know, find joy somewhere, find joy somewhere. Like, don't let other people tell you how to process this. Process it in the way that works best for you. And only you know that. Um, so with all that being said, this is going to be a long fucking episode. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. And <laughs> we are going to talk about episodes three and four of Warrior Nun. Some of the best. I mean, I just love this show. It's These episodes had a lot of excitement. Honestly, watching the episodes to prepare for the podcast, even in my sadness, they still bring me so much joy. Like, this is such a fucking comfort show for me. Like, I've, I don't know that I've had a comfort show, like a thing that I can constantly put on and truly fills me like with interest and joy and entertainment. Like, there are a lot of things I enjoy watching over and over again, but like, this feels like I'm fucking eating, like, I don't know ice cream or baked mac and cheese or like it's just it's just like it's a comfort, my comfort yeah. show <laughs> um let's jump in to episode three it is called luke chapter 8 verse 17 which is for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad directed by kaja Otomic and written by brendan gallagher so I really don't know what the fuck that Bible verse means. You <laughs> know? <laughs> oh man, I used to pour over the like. I'm just like, for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Okay. And anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. So Basically, you're just saying there are no secrets. Kinda, 
yeah the secret's gonna come out is that yeah, yeah. that's a lot of words to say that yeah it's a lot of words to say that like secrets don't exist everything that's meant to um yeah anything that's meant to be known will be known <laughs> Um, and that rings true for this episode. We learn a lot. A lot comes to light. We start with Ava and Beatrice exploring Madrid. And Ava has a little voiceover where she says, I know we're on a mission, but I love the feel of the new city, the energy, the smell, and adventures with a friend. Oh, my God. Okay. So she's fucking cute as hell with her little cap. She, I really want to buy a cap like that just because of Ava. She looks so fucking She's cute. so fucking cute in the scene. I just yes. can't handle how happy she is. Mm-hmm. It's like she's fulfilling a dream she mm-hmm. had to be traveling somewhere with the person she really likes. And, you know, she even suggests while they're on a mission to go sightseeing <laughs> because she's just so overcome with like the moment of being alive. You know, yeah, and getting to go places and do things that she like. Do you remember when she like wanted to go somewhere with JC and like he had like gone everywhere and she just wanted to have these novel experiences? And here she is. I did think it was funny because her narration is just like she mentions like sisters, I think, or like something, and then states sharing an adventure with a friend. And we know that she's referencing Beatrice, and again, she identifies her at. Of course, I know that they're like the only ones together, but like it's just it's especially funny considering that Beatrice's conversation with that woman at the bar had been about like, let her know she's not the only friend. And then the way Ava identifies her as a friend, it just feels like a very, you know, coded word right now. I also, God, if I ever got the chance to talk to Alba, like I really want to know her perspective narrating the scene like does I would I wonder if she gets to watch it while she narrates it. I just, I don't know. Because I feel with the way the word friend is said and the way she's looking at Beatrice, like you're meant to feel something more. And I don't know if it's the way she looks. I don't know if it's the inflection of her voice because it's not happening at the same time. So I I just kind of want to know like the behind the scenes of how that worked. Yeah. But I, I do feel like there's an inclination, like this means something to Ava because she has feelings for Beatrice and it's really special to be there with her. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. The, the, the inflection in her voice as she um, says that line feels very light and fun. And I just like, I just really love the character of Ava. Like, I just really love the, um, I love the range that a singular person can be. So Beatrice you know, like a good friend says, I a hundred percent hear your reasons for why you want to go sightseeing. Like love that for you. (laughs) However, we really can't do that. This is a bad time. People are coming after us. We're in danger. We can't go sightseeing. (laughs) I also want to point out with Beatrice that in here, she's trying to figure out the coordinates and she says, damn it to hell. And then she does a sign of the cross. And I just feel like as we continue with the episodes, we see increasingly Beatrice saying some things that, you know, previously she wouldn't have said, being short-tempered in a way that she previously wouldn't be. I think we're really seeing the effects of I'll, – I'll talk more about it later, but, like, we're seeing we're seeing some shifts for Beatrice, too. Yes. Um, the second that Ava's life is in danger – Ava becomes more important to her than anything else. And I, I think 
she tries to mask that and slowly loses that mask as we move forward in these two episodes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit as we go. Um, (laughs) And when they find the like greenhouse or wherever they were, The um, the flower shop, they are not running into Mother Superior and Camilla yet, but they see the place destroyed. Beatrice notices a little arrow, and then they find a movie ticket to go to the theater. This, I just want to talk about, like, how fucking gorgeous this was visually. Like, the shots from this scene was were so beautiful. It gave me a lot of Damie feels. I don't know if it did for you. Um, it did for me. Oh, I could see that a little bit with the with the gardening. Yep. As they go to leave, Beatrice notices immediately that they have people tailing them. Ava also starts to pick up on it, and they know that they have to lose the trail of these people. And I just love that basically Ava's method is uh, declared for us where she goes, I'm a punch first, then ask questions, and then punch again kind of girl. Oh, girl after my own heart. Um, that's my that's my I like it and Beatrice of course is like clocked all of these things in a very uh, logical manner um yeah so they go off and don't have to actually get into a fight because they evade them but Beatrice quickly notices that there is someone stealthier following them and then she gets tranked <laughs> and passes the fuck out tranked by Vincent and he knows like he knows Beatrice like he had he had to get her at just the right moment to be able to get her. And he does. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck? Vincent can fight? Like, were we aware of this in season one? I don't feel as though we were. He was not a fighter. No, because he didn't, like, he didn't portray those skills. And I guess he didn't need to. But I think that we should have gathered that when he rolled up his sleeves and had all these tats and was like, I had a different life, you know? And so now he's just I like. Guess. And he has these divinium tattoos, so Ava can't phase him. And so, like, as Ava, I think this is a skill she probably learns from Beatrice, but Ava has to kind of adjust as she's fighting him because she can't fight how she normally does. Mm -hmm. But eventually, Ava phases and knocks him the fuck out, as she should. Oh, my God. She's so cute when she turns her hat backwards and is just, like, you know, getting serious into this. I thought that was fucking adorable. I love that scene, that moment. And um, I was really emotional with her whole, like, why were you doing this? Like, is that why you turned on your family? And it just, like, it really warms my heart when we think about how Ava was in the beginning where she very much viewed you know Cat's Cradle the OCS as like a prison and like keeping her and now she started to view them as a family and she is upset on their behalf and um yeah she was just like you know she haloed and she fucking tranquilized him and it was beautiful yeah I also really loved the moment where she was able to call him out for abusing his power over her and betraying her for power and he says he betrayed them for truth but i really think there's a running theme on abuse of power in these next couple of episodes that's really powerful i like that ava is able to recognize that to him when she has the ability to confront him face to face for the first time and i think that's really important in giving her character strength and agency also, I like that 
she wins. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I think we just needed that. Like, it was a huge betrayal. And I spent so much time, like, just bitching about Vincent <laughs> because I'm so mad at him. But that's why. Because he betrayed a family and he put this family that we care about at risk. And so all of these moments feel really important. What elevates it is when Ava has to decide who to carry Beatrice or Vincent back because even though everybody would love to have their hands on him as a traitor, they want Beatrice back more, including Ava. Um, I liked that as Beatrice is starting to come to, she's like giving orders about how to like get somewhere and like what to do like she's still so with it like she's so tactically trained that she's like oh don't go in the front door go around back you know what i mean yeah i thought that was hilarious because like she is so like groggy and she's like well but she still is just like make smart choices go through the back um and i just oh there's so much about just the way that they interact like and like the way Ava speaks like so when Beatrice is kind of like waking up and coming to the way that Ava says hi in this like really like high pitched voice like oh so fucking adorable and um I just love like I just love the physicality like I know it's because that like Beatrice is like fucking groggy as shit but I just enjoy the way that they're holding on to each other um before the door opens and like it's hilarious the way that Ava gets like essentially pulled in and she's like well <laughs> and then like Beatrice comes into the uh theater as well yeah, and Camilla greets them with a hug, and it's such a happy reunion, which we kind of need at this point. Ava takes a moment to watch the movie be uh, played in front of them and keep her arm around Beatrice in the, po- in the process, which it just feels like one of those moments where Ava's choosing to soak up a moment of being alive you know mm-hmm. oh it's so good to see Beatrice too because she's just like her face is just like watching the movie it's adorable and so like their physicality them watching the movie I was just like oh they didn't get to go sightseeing but they got a little bit of a movie date and I'm like give them their full movie date and I love the physicality here especially because as the scene keeps progressing like Ava holds on to Beatrice as long as possible until Beatrice like absolutely doesn't need it you know like there's like this touchiness that feels like Ava is relishing this opportunity like yes she's not purely just doing it for support like she's relishing this opportunity to be close and support Beatrice and I really feel like Alba is playing it that way Oh, yeah. I feel like Beatrice, I think, is, like, full on sitting and watching the movie at some point. And, like, Ava still goes over to, like, have physical contact. It's like, she's stable. She is sitting. (laughs) As we get to the back, Ava greets Mother Superior with a warm hug. And Mother Superior lets out a little sniffle about being reunited with Ava and Beatrice. They all together take a moment to pray for their sisters. But Ava does not participate pointedly. And I think that's an interesting character decision that I love that the show went with. Mm-hmm. So the Mother Superior and Ava hug made me so fucking emotional because I have a lot of feelings about the fact that Ava did not have a loving caregiver from 7 until 19. It breaks my heart. And Mother Superior was another person that she viewed in this kind of negative light until they had their moment in season one. And this is just so beautiful for me. It makes me so fucking happy. Like not even Beatrice gives her a hug. <laughs> like they just kind of like smile at each other. So that makes me super emotional. And then it makes sense for me. Like Ava, like 
doesn't really believe in God. And like, she's made that very clear. And it reminds me very much of Mary, you know, where like, so Ava, like will hold hands while they pray and will, you know, she's not going to make a rude comment right now. Um, but she's not going to partake in the prayer and she's not going to say amen with them. Yeah. And I think that's also, again, like a really powerful message about togetherness and family. Ava is just as important to them as the other sisters <laughs> that have taken the vows and that believe in God but Ava is her, a separate person and has her own beliefs. And they're able to be together and love each other, you know, in that moment. And I think that's really special that they allow Ava to continue on her own journey and not just, like, join in because she's now accepted her role as a warrior nun. Mm-hmm. And then... Ava is introduced to Sister Yasmin, and her necklace is glowing, and Yasmin says, you're her. You're the warrior nun. I know how to defeat Adriel. Please, it was so fucking cute, the way Ava just, like, bounces over and just, like, gives her a high five, and then she's like, oh my god, you're the warrior nun. She's like, uh, maybe, depends who's asking, and I have to say... Did I finally trust Yasmin at this point? I think maybe I'm finally trusting Yasmin. I was still so nervous. I did not trust her because Tapping Duretti, who we now know is a good guy, felt so, like, suspect in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, if she was Tapping Duretti in season one, I would have been like, yes, do it. But now I was like, what's going on? But, yeah, I'm not sure if I was fully there. But what I did love is, like, all of the little things that make Ava such a incredible protagonist for me like Ava's the hero and we get to see someone meet the hero and be so surprised and charmed by her like right away and like she is something new and different and unique for this and I really liked Ava and Yasmin having that moment because there was so much strife in Ava becoming the warrior nun in season one it's really nice to see both Yasmin and Miguel have, like, the opposite interactions with that in this season. And it helps, like, propel her destiny forward, I think. And then we learn the first warrior nun used a specific weapon to, to trap Adriel. And her sisterhood got to carry the story of it. And it's the crown of thorns. And it's a device from Adriel's realm that suppresses supernatural beings. And that's why the Romans placed the crown on Jesus' head to suppress his supernatural gifts. And then my mind was just like going crazy at this point, pretty similar to probably how Ava's was going. Because it's like, okay, in this show, if Jesus mm-hmm. is a supernatural being, we could therefore argue that Ariella and Ava could also be viewed as like a Jesus-like figure who were randomly bestowed supernatural gifts. You know what I mean? And so it's like unknown figures unbeknownst to everyone that could have the power of God around you is such an interesting perspective to take on Jesus, I think. Well, I liked that... Ava was just like, does this mean Jesus? And then Beatrice was like, oh, we're not going to go there. Um, Because I just, I appreciate that they like address some of the things that like come up, but also like don't delve into it. I don't know. I think that they just handled it well, where I was just like, oh, how are they going to talk about this? And then I was like, okay, that's how they're going to do it. And I, and I, and I approve. I think that's the best way to marry these storylines together right now. And you, I don't think you want to put yourself in a box this early on in the show either with what some of this means. Like, you have to leave some of this lore to, like, flesh out over time still. 
And I also just couldn't help but thinking about, you know, that song, like, what if God was one of us? <laughs> that is a song that, like, I know but would have never thought of on my, you know, like, it wouldn't have come up for my brain. <laughs> I just, like, know that song very well because it used to be the theme song to the show called Joan of Arcadia that my mom used to love. Um, and so that. I would hear it every week. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um. So I thought it was like very coincidental that the Egyptian order, because that's the base of where the order was formed, like crown that was stolen by the British army happened to be owned by a British soldier that retired in Spain where they originated to do this. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I mean, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I just was mostly like, of course it got stolen by you know white people of course stealing. the british stole it like who else would <laughs> yeah, have, <exactly>. right <laughs> so ava of course says well you know what that means time for a museum heist please she's the most precious thing ever that's all i'm gonna say constantly and we won't know if it's actually the crown of thorns unless ava touches it that will that is what will reveal its power so they're going to basically set the scene, put things in place to steal the crown that night. As they're trying to like set up to disable the cameras, Beatrice is going over <laughs> Camilla's tasks with her. And Camilla takes it a little bit personally and is like, I survived by myself without you here. We're still alive. You know, you focus on your work and I will mine. And Beatrice, I think, shows us what her true basis of these feelings are and says, I want this mission to go perfect. And Camilla basically says simply, it won't. It never does. That's not how things go. Mm -hmm. Yes, which is accurate, which is really true and real. It's really interesting seeing Camilla from because I think back to season one where they were going to I think architect to get the divinium and she was like really impulsive and like impatient and you know Beatrice was like kind of calming and grounding her and just like you know be patient this is how we do things blah 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 and she's like I can be patient and I kind of feel like Camilla's comments here show I think a sense of like sadness like she's been they've been removed from each other and then like you know, like fucking everyone got murdered. And so I think it's just like this, you've been gone and I've had to grow a lot without you. Like, don't question me. Like I've had to do a lot. And so it just makes me emotional to see them interact like a family. Yeah, I think it's growing pains for Beatrice in that way where it's like, you know, she is treating Camilla how she would treat her a couple months ago. And then underlying all of those feelings are her fear for Ava. Like, I think we just slowly start to see Beatrice grasp the fact that things will not be perfect and Ava is going to be in danger. Like, she has a really hard time with that concept. She's, I think, because of her feelings, tried to control as much as possible to protect her and she's slowly losing that control. Ooh. I mean, it's got to be difficult for Beatrice, too, thinking about how... um you know like thinking back to that argument where she's like i've trained my whole life you know so she has a skill set she has the um 
like the patience like there's just so much for her that allows her to maintain her own safety and when you love someone you can't keep them safe and they make their own decisions and you know they their perspective on things is different than yours and so like an Ava being this impulsive person like loving Ava just has to be constant stress like it's just got to be so terrifying yeah we go to the museum heist later that night and we start with mother superior knocking a guy out and yasmin driving up in the van that she cannot drive but because she has an encyclopedic memory she knows the map of the whole city and camilla is a tech whiz and she disables all the cameras and the lasers and beatrice leaves camilla to watch their backs because she trusts her more than anyone else then ava levitates and grabs a crown but we find out that it's the wrong crown mm -hmm. and they have only a few minutes remaining to find the right crown so then yasmin figures out where the crown is actually hidden and ava says i can move through rock so i can move through light and tries to phase through the lasers but here is a time where the halo just gives out on her Mm -hmm. so okay to back it up i really enjoyed where they got the crown like this crown of thorns that is not the crown of thorns and yasmin is just like oh i don't know you know like it looks like the picture which like just like makes me laugh because i'm just like it's a fucking drawing dude like <laughs> like i don't know yeah. how accurate this is gonna be and, but and also like sometimes that is just how you make a decision at work like yeah. if you don't know you're like well <laughs> it adds up i don't know what else to say <laughs> oh god so yeah that was just like funny to me and then what calls to me is beatrice says so yasmin is like like anxiously trying to like rack her brain for like where could it be you know what what could it be and beatrice is like why would they call it the crown of thorns if not thorns and she keeps talking even when yasmin has told her like to be quiet and i'm thinking old Beatrice would have been quiet like old Beatrice would have been patient she you know but like she is like we are running out of fucking time she is like being influenced by Ava so I just I appreciate them showing us this during this process Camilla is being haunted by Adriel um and that is also at the same time the halo is starting to give out all of a sudden so I feel like that is you know correlated in some way and Adriel is very fucking creepy when he's, like, kind of haunting her. And he's like, I am here. I am everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my God. Tell <laughs> out, <not>? Adriel. <laughs> Dramatic much? Okay. <laughs> and Camilla realizes that it's a trap. And Vincent set them up and disables Ava with the crown and carries her out. And as the gates shut, Beatrice is like crying out for Ava. Oh my God. Very the dramatic. Yeah, it's like Vincent trips a laser and like um Mother Superior is just like Vincent and like the bars like come down and you just see like Beatrice like lunge forward and like it, she can't go faster than the bars. So she's just like holding on to them like <gasps> you know, and then when Vincent um incapacitates Ava she's just like Ava and I'm like poor Beatrice like she wishes she could phase through them damn bars to get to Ava um some other things that happen in this episode is 
Jillian Salvius and Lilith have a storyline together where Lilith goes to her to try to understand like who she is and what's happening to, to her. And Salvius is trying to get Lilith to go through the portal because of her physical differences um, and to see like what these features are and what her healing abilities are. And Lilith is like, what if it nearly kills me? And Jillian's like, LOL, you can still give me info on my son. Like, <laughs> I know that's like what made me so upset where I'm just like, look, we get it. You want to get your son, but can you show a little fucking sympathy for her? Like, you know, like why? Because like Lilith goes through and then she comes back and you see her arm all fucked up and like trying to heal. And then like Jillian's just like, so when are we going back? Like not even like, how are you feeling? Are you OK? Do you need a glass of water? Like <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, and we learned some really interesting things. Like, she's only gone for a few seconds in our world, but she says it felt like hours, and she was under, like, scorching sun. And Jillian's like, what was seven seconds of footage in our world is 107 minutes of footage. And Lilith says, I'm not welcome there when she returns. So she's clearly been through something on the other side and she says you know look what your tests have done to me if you can't find out what's happening to me i'll find someone else who does and leaves her cross behind oh that's right yeah she does and then when jillian reviews the camera footage she sees raya like when she figures out how to change the speeds mm -hmm. she sees raya and like why does raya hate lilith I want to get into that in the next episode. Okay, because I'm like I'm I'm trying to figure out Lilith Lilith at least feels like she's not welcomed in the world by Raya. And I wonder if the scorching heat was like from Raya's power that she's burned by. I'm very curious about that. And then, you know, like I said, Lilith ends up the episode going to Adriel. So um, I was not happy about that, but I guess it makes sense that that's where she would go. Oh, yes. Uh, I, have, I have more to say in the next episode, too. Okay, we'll dive. We'll really dive into that stuff in the next one. Um, and then the other um, small storyline in this episode is Duretti trying to find out amongst the priests who has betrayed the church and is a traitor and is with Adriel now. And he's out here fucking torturing these priests <laughs> to get his answers. Where I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's God's wishes either, Duretti. <laughs> so. I think we're supposed to see some different morality among him still, even as even though he's like the Pope. But he does eventually find out through this torture how the plagues are working and it's being done through Arctic. I just found it really interesting that this guy knows that the plagues are not real. And I'm like, OK, so like, but I thought you all thought that he was a divine being. And if you know that it's. If it's, it, you know, that it's technology and shit, are you acknowledging that he's not a divine? I don't, I, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think there's some stuff, like, maybe it'll come up in the next episode. But I think there's a piece of it that where they feel like their worship is part of his success. So, and, and I think that's the thing with all cults and religions, like, that, um, it doesn't always make sense and they still believe it. 
um like scientology is one of the big ones that's like that like once the people get to the top like nothing that they were told that they were to believe ever happens but they're in so far deep that that's just where they are you know what i mean yeah so that's episode three are you ready to jump into episode four i am (laughs) this joyfulness katie like (laughs) i'm like am i just gonna crash on the weekend when i don't have like things to distract me properly i have an ugly sweater party to go to with friends this saturday and i have a feeling i'm gonna get drunk on their fucking deck and just start crying about warrior none to them (laughs) (laughs) um I'm actually having a lot of fun. I'm like, you need to, you're going to, you just cut our earlier bullshit and keep the fun (laughs) episodes. Like, leave a little bit of it, but keep most of it to be the episode shit because it's actually fun. Yeah, the show's so good. Exactly. Like, let's not deal with our anger. Let's deal with this. Okay. So, episode four is called Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. It's again directed by. Kaja Adamic and written by Suzanne Kelly. And the verse is, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Which... The verses are very apt for basically every storyline in this episode. So we pick up this episode pretty much right where we left off in the last episode. Ava is be- has the crown of thorns on her head. She's being carried away by Vincent. Beatrice is trying to go after her. She's very upset. And Camilla is like, we can't. The police will be everywhere. And Beatrice lashes out at camilla and is like and whose fault is that you left your post and vincent i mean and camilla basically says like something was happening to me i didn't mean to but beatrice's fear of losing ava is extremely prominent right now oh my god i love this this is like one of my things like i do i am a sucker for broody bitches who are weak for like adorable people like you know like only that yes, adorable person. i mean that is really like the ship dynamic i'm living for at the moment oh is that was that what a uh, casey is yep yeah oh i love that i love that dynamic um and i also just love like someone who is really composed and like whatever being so irrational because their feelings are so strong so like this is exactly it for me so like beatrice like losing all fucking control and restraint and just being like and whose fault is that you put us all in danger like it's not the nicest thing but like it really illustrates how intense her fear her affection and all of these things are that she cannot hold up the i don't want to say facade but she can't hold up the strength i guess that she like normally does this is such a good Beatrice episode. I really love everything about her character this episode and how it's executed and how Christina plays it. Like, there's so many layers going on um, as her world kind of crumbles and then she, like, takes charge to, um, in the only way she knows how, to get back to Ava. Um, and 
we see Vincent carrying Ava off and then we jump to Ava in this dark space alone. It's like, you know, echoey. It's this different realm type of feel. And eventually Tarasks start popping up. Um, and then we get like the, the credits across the screen. Um, what are we supposed to think about this? Like, where do you think Ava is? Is she in the other realm? Is she in, like, an, a prison in the other realm? Like, what's going on? Well, I don't know because if we think about it, I, like, I can't imagine that it's an actual other realm because she physically is on Earth, you know? So, like, it incapacitates her so that she can't use her powers. So, for me, I feel like she's in her mind. Wait, did I see... Did I see? But then part of the thing later is when she puts the crown on, she meets with Rhea, essentially. So it has to be some sort of connector to the other realm, yeah. I think. I So I was just wondering if it's like, you know, like a mental connection beyond realms, you know, kind of space. Um, I do want to point out, I guess now, did you see this theory? I don't know if it's like on Tumblr or on Twitter where it talks about essentially like what you think the afterlife is. And so like when Michael went through the realm, he, you know, goes to Rhea and like gets healed and all these like positive things because that's what he thought would be on the other side. And Lilith, who feels like she's turning into a monster and like what's up with her, like when she went across, she went to essentially what felt like a hellscape. And Ava, who has no faith and belief in God and religion, goes into this void. Have you seen this theory? I have not seen this theory, but I love that. That's really fascinating. And you could think that maybe the connection to Rhea is what gives you what you want to see um, and gives you what you believe. And that would explain like a complicated relationship that people might have with Rhea. Because even though, though that's not what you believe, that might not be what you deserve. Or I mean, there's lots of layers there, right? So I really like that theory. I'm going to sit with that. I think some of my immediate thoughts are Lilith remains a mystery on that for me still. Because I that's what makes me question it. Because she was brought over against her free will by a Tarasque and started taking on those traits. But then again, maybe anyone may be used for Rhea's power to get back at Adriel just as Miguel slash Michael was. Lilith is that same vehicle and they parallel and so I think it would be interesting in a season three with how Miguel slash Michael um parallels with Ava this season that Lilith could parallel with Ava in the next season to take on Rhea like I think there's a lot of like layers between those characters that could be interesting to explore yeah Ava comes to um but she still doesn't have the power of the halo so she can't move and Vincent says that Ava doesn't understand some of the forces at play here. And Ava says back, I understand you used me to set them loose. And if that isn't one of my favorite lines that Ava says this episode, Ava really takes charge as the hero in this episode for me and has so much agency mm -hmm. in her interactions with the other characters that truly is such a change than where she was in season one with like feeling like she had no agency of her situation and she's not um 
held back by the mistakes of her past. You know, like she's really doing what needs to be done. And it starts with Vincent, who's the one who betrayed her. And I just fucking love every second of it. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit in our last episode about how in season one, there's so much of Ava's insecurity and uncertainty and like guilt. Um, And we see that in her actions and behaviors and in her narration. And I think now in season two, you know, she's had these two months of training with Beatrice and you, you, she comes off as more confident, competent and trusting in herself. And so like just seeing her say these things, seeing her trust herself, like it's just it's a really good feeling. A hundred percent. But a uh, Vincent walks away with the crown um, and says, you know, your final confrontation with Adria will result in your death. And Ava tries to go after him, but she can't move yet. And Miguel shows up and knocks Vincent out, takes the crown from him, and looks at Ava and says, and she says to him, you've got a lot to explain. <laughs> and then they run off. And then, contrastingly, we have Beatrice and Camilla, where Beatrice is climbing up a fucking wall. Okay. <laughs> First, she, like, lands gracefully off of a wall. And then, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, a spider woman. I know. Which is, okay, have you seen the Spidey Ava shit on Twitter? No? I don't, I, I don't know a ton, but there have been some, like, Spider-Man Ava um, <laughs> edits and posts and shit like that. And I'm like, why is it not Spidey Beatrice? Like, look at this bitch climbing up this fucking wall like Spider-Man. Oh, my God. I was just like, when I saw that, I was like, is that Beatrice? <laughs> like, you know, like, you just don't expect it at all. Yeah. But I, I think they're showing us, like, uh, this is how hardcore Beatrice is going to be this episode. She's literally climbing walls to get to Ava. Um, and Camilla's disarming a cop. And Beatrice runs into Vincent. And she's like, where is she? And he says, she seems to have a new protector. And Beatrice looks at Camilla and says, I need to find Ava. And Camilla stays with Vincent. Okay, I fucking love it. Because Beatrice just has like a weapon to Vincent's neck. She's like so intensely, where is she? Um, so she's like, yeah, oh, be strong. It <laughs> is a moment when she confronts Vincent for Ava. And the dig, like it's clearly like Ooh, a yes. dig from Vincent when he says she seems to have a new protector. Yeah, I was like, okay. So he says that and I'm like, oh, okay. So like you see what's going on and you're being an asshole. One, two. Beatrice's response was very calm like where she's just like oh this must be Miguel um because I think he said like he can take a punch um and so there was like no jealousy happening there because there is nothing but Ava's safety in her mind and so she's just taking the information but I was pissed on Beatrice's behalf I wish she would have cut him a little (laughs) yeah and it's all very very interesting because I think that that scene sets up this Ava and Miguel dynamic and is such a commentary on how these stories are usually told because everything we're learning in these scenes between Miguel and Ava it's like trying to show how they're like intertwined and connected they're destined to blah 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 but yet it's constantly like Miguel trying to push this on Ava and Ava like having her own agency 
outside of him and being like, uh, no, I'm running the show here. Things are different, you know? And it's just such an interesting story where they're basically telling you what we were kind of leaning into in the first couple episodes to start off. Like in any other world, you would think that Miguel and Ava would be romantic. And Ava is clearly saying that's not the case here. And I just really love how they portray that through these scenes. That's like the subtle underlying messaging going on. Yes, absolutely. Especially in like the next bit where they're like off um, running off like they're on a bridge. Like there's a lot that happens in here that very much reads um, could be romantic, but but they, but it doesn't end up there. Basically, a lot is happening very quickly between Ava and Miguel as they're kind of on the run. Mm -hmm. We're kind of learning who Miguel is a little bit. He's like saying, you know, I came here from the other side. I can help you stop them. And we learn that Miguel is human mostly. So I think that probably has to do with his divinium infusion. Um, and he's like, I couldn't tell you until I knew that you were the halo bearer. And then when I knew you were gone. And we also learn, which was a sweet note to uh, Michael, where he's like, you know, my previous life wasn't as fun. I also got, you know, a moment to live here and I took advantage of it. And I, that's like the parallel, you know, with mm -hmm. Ava that makes you that traditionally would make you want them to be together. But it doesn't work here. And I just love that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it because they're also facing each other and having this like intimate, serious conversation, like really honest. And he says, I got caught up. I was having fun. Um, and like I just felt like that could be a moment of tension that would like lead two characters together that are supposed to be romantically involved. Yeah. And then what happens next is um, they see these FBC people um, coming and they're like, oh, no, like these people are coming. Like, let's avoid detection effectively or essentially. And they kind of go up against the edge of the bridge. So they're this is such a like a tropey thing that can happen on television. Like two characters are pressed up against each other. They're trying not to get noticed. They end mm -hmm. up making out and none of like that's not there's for me, there's no charge here. I feel like this is like. <laughs> I feel like this is like so straight, baby. You know, like you could see this and think it's going to happen, it is. but it doesn't. It's, it's, it's really interesting how where everything, like Miguel is saying all the right things, but they're not the right things to say to Ava. And that's why it doesn't work. Miguel is like, you know, we can kill Adriel in this room together. They're hearing the screaming and the noises um, going on. So they're starting to realize that the fog is poisoning their mind. And then while this is all happening with them, we see Beatrice on her quest to track them down, you know, and she is just like methodical going through her, her like spy tracing knowledge to, to get to them basically. And I also liked this moment that we have when Beatrice gets to the place that this is all happening and she has the bad interaction with the fog and sees Ava and it's Ava as this kind of evil being where she's like it's too late B there's no point in hiding I know who you are I know what you are and Beatrice you know studies herself recognizes that it's not real and then knocks a bitch out and steals his gas mask obviously okay so this like fear fog thing i was curious 
Because when Ava sees Michael with this fear foggy lens, he just looks like kind of like a ghoulish monster or something. But Beatrice's is very specific. Like it takes on the form of Ava saying these things. I just have to giggle a little bit because like the whole like I know what you are. I just thought like say it vampire. Like I couldn't help it. My brain just like went. Yes, say it. <laughs> um, I guess what I'm wondering is this like is this fear fog supposed to be like your biggest fear or is it just a fear? Um. If it's just a fear, it makes sense that she would be scared that Ava would know that. I mean, obviously, she already knows she's a lesbian, but like, you know, in love with me specifically. I think it's like tied to your most resonant fear at that moment, because Ava seeing Miguel as this monster is her current fear, right? Because she doesn't know she can trust him. He's from this other realm. Like, and what she is afraid of is the other realm right now and Adriel and those people. So she sees like a representative of that and Miguel. So that's kind of what I, uh, my take on Ava's fear is with Beatrice. Like she's in this process of tracking Ava down. Her biggest fear is losing Ava. Mm -hmm. And what it means that that's her biggest fear is also on her mind. And that's why Ava not reciprocating i think and looking badly upon beatrice is her biggest fear at that moment mm -hmm. i feel like that's i feel like that's solid i'm just like oh, um, beatrice she loves you too motherfucker <laughs> and then this is like the moment that like sets the tone and switches the trope completely on its head right and why this episode is so layered and all her scenes with miguel are so layered because Ava sees, like, hears people screaming and something bad going on in that church. And Miguel says, we can't go in there. And Ava says, okay, you can wait for me here then. That is such a badass protagonist moment. It's such a flip on what we would usually see in that moment. Mm -hmm. Where this, like, masculine figure is the one that will just come in and take over and take the lead, you know? Um, but Ava's our hero here. And I like that she's not, you know she doesn't give a fuck <laughs> you know what i mean she's doing what she believes in and who is miguel to try to stop her yeah yeah i was like had it been beatrice who said that she may have been like why you know like she would have in like actually indulged a conversation but she's just like cool you don't have to do anything you don't want miguel i'm gonna go though <laughs> see you later and then I just love like to get in. You be all you have to do is declare that you worship Adriel, and Ava's like, "That's it, okay. Yeah. I worship Adriel. Let me in." You know, yeah. like, like she just see. finds it very amusing that that's all you have to do. Oh, super simple. Yes, I think we're really starting to acknowledge how power can work and how power plays on pain and fear, and so priests are talking about healing the pain of all of these people right after they've scared the shit out of them with this fear fog you know what i mean when you're most desperate for relief it's like when i'm having a spiral of anxiety where i'm just like fucking afraid of something i don't know if i could get instant relief in that moment i would take it yeah so to just think about how sinister that truly is, is a really interesting commentary that the show is starting to do in this episode. And it also happens with Adriel. This makes me think about, um, I think it was Marx, I think, who said, uh, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. Like, it, that's like just what I think of. It's also, it's also why I've 
tried to be religious multiple times is like yeah i yeah. want to feel <laughs> I scared. Reckon, like i don't sometimes there's a part of faith that i find extremely beautiful like period of any faith christianity judaism islam whatever and i wish i could feel that way but i don't so i definitely am not judgmental of faith but i i can't relate and so it's a very interesting dynamic that i have with this show right now mm-hmm. um and, and what they're kind of talking about um but Ava sees a girl get possessed by a demon and she wants to go help her. But Miguel can also see demons. And there's not just one demon. They are everywhere. And then we have this very disturbing imagery of this girl getting possessed while while Ava is watching helplessly. I just was thinking about like how much it, you know, seems like like a baptism. I really mm-hmm. just enjoy the way that we're seeing these things play out with these demons and Adriel, and it seems like this really like bad, awful thing, but like it looks a lot like religion looks like, you know? Exactly. And there's this is why the show feels so elevated. They really understand how powerful imagery can be and references can be. So they don't have to rely on a lot of budget heavy things. And so just by sheer choreography, like they understand the art of choreographing a scene um, and groups of people and fight scenes. So like starting from this point onward, like this whole sequence at this church or wherever the fuck this is, is fucking cool as shit to watch so miguel goes up to get possessed once the demon is inside of him the divinium in him lights up and basically releases this demon and it rises up above him and explodes and miguel tries to use this opportunity to show that this is the devil this isn't god and basically, Miguel and Ava start fighting everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wondered what it looked like for the audience because they can't see demons the way Ava and uh, Miguel can. But I think they can see Divinium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wondered, like, just, like, what it looked like. Did it just look like him, like, lighting up with the Divinium? Yeah. And him just, like, I mean, because he didn't look okay. Um, And then I'm also just really curious by these demon possessions because, like, I'm assuming the demons know that they're possessing these people. So, like, how many of the people are demon-possessed? I'm, I'm guessing those are all the people that they're fighting. So, yeah, they get into the fight, and... Oh, and it's very it. terrifying to realize the sheer scale of what they're up against. Oh, yeah. If this is just, like, one place that is filled with these demon-possessed people, like... The absolute scale of the fight with Adriel is set here for all of us if we weren't already aware of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And then Beatrice enters the scene and just basically systematically destroys everyone on her path to get to Ava. And we have this awesome fight sequence that basically is one continuous shot of Beatrice, Miguel, and Ava fighting all together that ultimately culminates with the three of them standing back to back to back. 
Yes. I love the way Beatrice was introduced because so Miguel and Ava start fighting and it's cool. But then you pan over and you just see this body like thrown and the song plays like as Beatrice is walking mm-hmm. in. And you just know that this is like such a badass fucking moment. Beatrice is a badass. And she comes in and just like, you know, like it's just such a like singular focus on a mission of getting to Ava. And then they all you know end up right next to each other and the way that they fucking hug each other like they clasp onto each other just like i mean how long have they been away from each other i understand that like eva got taken away with the the crown of thorns and that was scary but like you just feel the intensity of their connection and like need to like be with each other and know that the other is safe this is the scene specifically where i was like revenge angrily writing notes about how i'm gonna go after netflix or something because just through the choreography of this fight the clever direction and like music choice and all of these things and how they subtly are connecting like cgi in with the demons but not like heavily relying on it it just elevates the stakes so much that this is like as top tier as any fight scene in any show and then like the character elements that are tied into it with Beatrice like just destroying people to get to Ava and then their hug as they're kind of reunited with each other is just so incredible like Mm -hmm. at the second Ava sees Beatrice she's like oh my god you're here and hugs her and it's like part of it is like surprise but only a little bit because i feel like at the end of the day ava had no doubts that Mm -hmm. beatrice would find her you know what i mean (laughs) and there's something really special about that and i feel like that is intertwined in that hug and reunion oh my god it was so beautiful the embrace was so tight it made me so happy um and then they so like I think Ava checks in on Beatrice and Beatrice is like, oh, like my leg has seized up um, and, you know, I might need help walking. And I just like, I don't like, I'm sure that it's true, but I also just like Beatrice, like willingly stating like, I will need your help. And like, I, I, I there was just something about that for me. And um, they're, they're like it holding shows, hands. Like, yeah, it shows their progression, like Beatrice and Ava together here in this moment are still the Beatrice and Ava together that they were in Switzerland like they are a unit um and that's really instilled in this moment where they're confronted by all of these demons and Beatrice looks at Ava and tells her to let go and then Ava just immediately trusts her like we have Miguel trying to like basically make all the decisions where Ava is like basically like no (laughs) I'm not doing that and in the moment that Beatrice and Ava are reunited Beatrice tells Ava like this is what needs to be done and Ava agrees you know and it's basically like not only am I letting go I'm letting go with you and tells Beatrice to hold on like it's it's very metaphorical here i think in their relationship and where they are emotionally oh my god yes like i can let go i can be vulnerable i can do all of these things with you at my side it's very um i just i i I enjoy it and i and then the way they embrace so like i just what makes me especially happy is that when 
she knows that she's about to like let go and what's gonna happen she's like hang on and her focus is just holding on to Beatrice and making sure that she's safe like when this happens um and like you see the movement where like Beatrice tries to have her also like take care of Miguel but Ava's just like focused on um Beatrice and then you know she lets go and and Michael goes fucking flying and that is kind of the point that they were building to this whole episode between the three of them. Like, Ava and Beatrice are the unit of this show, mm-hmm. and they're just as important to the other, you know? Um, and so I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I don't know. That's like one of my favorite moments that is especially emotionally resonating for me, like this time around. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels so character-based in that moment where they're also saving themselves from a bunch of demons um <laughs> i could so, watch a scene over uh, and over again yes i just love everything about it from start to finish um and then ava and beatrice are trying to limp off but a Tarask shows up and he starts also warding off demons and Ava and Beatrice try to levitate out of it. But the Tarask grabs Ava's foot, but Miguel throws something at the Tarask and it disappears. And just like a lot of world stuff is happening in those few seconds. I want to ask you about this. Okay. Because we've had a lot of questions about like Tarasks and shit. So like, and I think about the colors. So the demons are red divinium is blue the tarasks look like a molten lava-y kind of color on the outside so like a reddish and black and when the demons go to attack the tarask it lights up blue as they like explode and we think that divinium is tarask bone yeah i'm just curious about like because the Tarasks look, when you look at them, you would think that they are of, like, hell and bad and evil. But they're made of divinium and fight demons. I know. And I'm like, why did they show up here? Like, is it because Miguel is there? Is it because there's a lot of Adriel's... The halo? I think it's is because it Ava let go. Yeah, because whenever she does, like, a big kind of, you know, boom, like, that, like, is, like, a ping for them. But then if they're there for Adriel, why are they just going after Ava now with the halo and not Adriel? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Could they not find Adriel because, like, Lilith did? <laughs> Do they just expect, like, Adriel will be with where the, he- the halo is and... Adriel knows that or something and that's why he doesn't hourly confront Ava I don't know I'm I'm it doesn't I'm not fully understanding that all but they uh Miguel also escapes um because he knows about destroying the Tarask in a way that Ava doesn't even know Ava and Beatrice um and he kind of walks out wait 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 before he even walks out, they fly off through the window, fall, you know, Ava, like, her little, her power switched, and she can't walk right now. They're talking, and she's like, we need to go back for Miguel, and Beatrice is like, no. Um, what does she say specifically? She says, do, 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 do. Oh, I wrote it. I was like, B's like, fuck Miguel. That is not what she said. But basically, she's like, no. <laughs> and I just think that, like, I don't know. Would Beatrice have a bad... I mean, I guess he's not a sister, but I just think that there's something about the fact that she's like, no, you're safe, and, like, that's all that matters. He can figure it out himself. But he does come out, like you said. Yeah. 
I, I definitely think there's something interesting there. But, I mean, at this point, it's like, yes, Beatrice is correct. Like, you cannot risk the Halo Bearer, who's not even at full power to go mm-hmm. in a bunch of demons for Miguel at this point. But he does make it out, and he says that he knows where they can go to his house. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. That's a big <laughs> dramatic moment for the episode. Um, We will find out in the next one, which I was not expecting. I don't know. I was oblivious as fuck watching this. But we'll get into that next episode. So other storylines going on in this episode. Uh, Lilith at Adriel's feet has a few interesting moments with him. She basically says, like, if I was here to kill you, if that's what I wanted, this would already be done and dusted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I would have tried to do that already. She just wants to know who she is. And Adriel says that she's something new altogether. And he hasn't seen anyone like her. And Rhea is the one who did this to her. And because her time isn't limited on Earth like a Tarrasque, Rhea can use her to get to him. All very interesting about Lilith's creation. I think some of this is true, but some of this definitely isn't because it's warped by Adriel's perceptions and what he wants of her. Mm -hmm. So here are my notes that so when Adriel sees Lilith, he sees her arms and he says Rhea's blood. So I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, so Rhea's blood on her arms as she's healing Mm. and he does point out that the sole purpose of the Tarrasque is to take Adriel home and that Rhea, you know, made Lilith to take him and he plays on Lilith's feelings around not being the halo bearer and the warrior nun where he says like Ava wasn't chosen she just happened you know like things like that Mm -hmm. he's like um, you know, you have all this power and uh, you're my destiny. You're how to balance the scales and you are the personification of power a woman unleashed. You have more power than any warrior nun ever did. And so he's just, for me, being very manipulative of what Lilith needs to hear to feel good about herself, where she's feeling very much confused, out of control, having lost her destiny, um, all of these types of things. And I know you had earlier asked like what's going on with Lilith and so I am confused because do you think that Lilith truly does not remember what happened when she got taken on the Tarasque's arm? Because I wonder I if she doesn't. Of, I don't think she even really knows what happened for the hours that she was mm-hmm. on the other side just in the portal. Like I think time and space is so confusing there that she can't wrap her head around what she experienced. So I don't know if it's that she has no memories or that she just can't comprehend what's happened to her. I think that's what it is. Is I think that she probably has some some memories, but it's like almost like a dream, you know? Like it's just like it doesn't make sense and you don't know how to verbalize it or explain it. And so I'm very intrigued by this whole like Lilith feeling as if though she wasn't welcome in Rhea's like on this other side yes. which we're going to assume is Rhea's realm when it sounds like she made her yeah like i think it's really interesting that lilith feels overwhelmed by the power of sun right so mm-hmm. it seems like Rhea's burning her is part of that you know and so it makes lilith feel as though she's unwelcome there but yet adriel is spinning it like Rhea is using lilith to get to him so I don't think 
know what the truth is. Like, I just think that what Adriel's saying is not correct, but it also doesn't add up. Like, why why does Freya want Lilith? Like, I don't know. There's something going on there that I don't fully comprehend, I guess, still. Yeah. Um, but but it does kind of make sense that she isn't tethered to the other world like the Trasks are so she can be used to get to Adriel. Like that part does make sense, mm-hmm. but just like, it, it doesn't feel like the complete story. Yeah. So then in the Jillian Salvia storyline, she's investigating what happened with Lilith. She sees that this extra radiology is being used and that the arc is pulling it from the air for power. Mm-hmm. So then she's like, okay, I think I know what's happening here. She goes to Arc Tech and sees power coming out of the top of the building. And she walks into Adriel's altar where power is being generated from people praying. And this whole visual allegory here was really something when you think about the understanding of abusing people's faith and how much that's what power is in manipulation so i was a little taken aback this time really watching it and taking in the messaging that the show was saying i think it's interesting that you point that out because like yes um we do see i think for me what i was going to say earlier with the whole like um bible verse is this is my frustration with primarily the men so christian and vincent is that I feel as if though they have faith, but it's not real faith. Like faith is faith because you can't like see and prove things. And Mm -hmm. I, I understand the desire for like knowing something and truth. And so in their search for truth and knowledge, they are, it's like, the 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 ends justify the means and so they're doing all of these things that like aren't great specifically i'm thinking about like vincent murdering shannon um and where that's taking him is to you know the devil with adriel um and so now that you point out the the visual of it um it really does show how people will abuse people's pain and need for comfort and all of these things in order to set themselves up in a position of power and to maintain that power and and perpetuate like a really unhealthy cycle and i think that i think there's a really interesting conversation going on between the interest of knowledge and the interest of faith here and how they intersect right because Mm -hmm an infinite amount of both where that is like your sole focus doesn't lead to good like it just doesn't like you look at people that are on that quest for an infinite amount of knowledge and that doesn't bring them happiness either like learning the truth through that and then people that have this like blind faith and are oblivious to other ways of the world don't find it either you know and so there's an interesting bridge here going on with Christian who's like really illustrating that. And when Jillian is basically like, what the fuck, Christian? This is not what I was expecting yeah. when you took over for me. But he says, this is what you wanted. 
the technology bridge to God. And ultimately, Jillian is faced to confront, like, that's actually not what I wanted. Basically, all I wanted was to keep my son alive. Yeah. And these are the consequences that I'm starting to face because of that. Um, so I found that whole part very interesting. Um, and interesting little line here that really started to make sense to me, but I don't quite get yet, is that Adriel was visiting Michael to use him to get Jillian to build the Ark Mm -hmm. to the other realm but Adriel hasn't you didn't use that to get out Mm -hmm. and hasn't used it so why did he build it to eventually get back to Rhea once he uh, amounted power on earth is that the principle so um right now I'm just thinking isn't it at the very end where they drag Rhea out of the so like was it all just to bring Rhea into this realm and to um, incapacitate her? Yeah, like maybe once he accustomed uh, like accumulated enough power, mm-hmm. he could then take her in this realm because he couldn't defeat her in their realm. Does I'm he guessing. need the Ark in order to steal all of the prayers for his church power? Is that what it is because you see the so that's how eventually he would utilize it to, to, to get accumulate rid. power on the earth yeah and not just the portal the portal element of it is what confuses me yeah i'm not certain because it's pulsing and then ends up being open yeah i don't know. i have to think about this a lot more um so and then the the other storyline going on is when uh, Mother Superior and Yasmin meet back up with Camilla and Vincent, and they rescue Camilla, basically. They have to lose their first fan, and, well, before that, they drive by the theater, which is mm-hmm. burning, so they've been compromised again. And Camilla looks at Vincent and he says, you did this. You betrayed us again. And he says, it wasn't me. Adriel is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she and she and she clocks, you know, she like she goes, she puts her hand to her neck. You know, she's feeling that um, connection from like the, heat. the heist. Oh, I was thinking about she's feeling the connection from the heist when he uses like the exact wording that Adriel used. And I think that she's starting to connect like the headaches and stuff with what's happening with Adriel. I think it's definitely laying the seeds of doubt for her. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, something might be like she doesn't know what it is, but she's starting to feel like, why is Adriel creeping up on me? Yep. Um, In a way that doesn't seem to be happening. And it seems as though Vincent might know. Like he's very all knowing about what's going on with the with the nuns in this episode. Like, what's with that? Um, but I think that's kind of showing us how he was able to manipulate all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that he really did learn how they were individually and use that against them. Um, the only difference is it doesn't work this time because they know what his game is. Yeah. So they bust a tire and they have to find a new escape vehicle. They steal a food truck. And when Camilla goes to grab the food to nourish themselves after their fight, 
They find out that it is an erotic pastries van. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that was funny. Camilla's face. I think when Camilla made that face while she was putting things, I was just like, is this an erotic pastries van? Um, and then Mother Superior has no issue. She just, uh, she needs some food. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. And I love it. It's a great, uh, it's some levity that's needed in this episode. Um and, you know, Vincent is doing all of these little things to, to try to gain some power in this situation, like learning about Yasmin and all of these things. But they're on to him and they pull over and Mother Superior drags um, Vincent out of the truck and makes him kneel and face her. And points a gun to his head and is like, I want to believe that your actions are not real, that there's something else going on here. But all things lead me to leave, like, basically, this is you. Yeah. And she says, you killed Shannon. And he basically admits that he needed a warrior nun that he could use. And Shannon was too good. Mm-hmm. And Mother Superior says she was the best of us. And Vincent says, I loved her too. I did it in a quest for a better world. Ugh, I know. He's like, everything I did was in the quest of a better world. And I'm just like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like, I just, ugh. It doesn't mean that you're on the right quest there, Vincent. Yeah. Um, and, and Mother Superior shows her wisdom in this moment, despite her feelings and realizes that there's no rationalizing with fanatics and she just breaks his motherfucking leg and leaves him there to rot as they continue on in their mission Uh, i like good for them i guess i don't know i have mixed feelings about when we don't kill people because then i'm just like if they're still alive they can present a problem but also if you kill them and they have knowledge then they're gone so like i just the fact that they don't kill him repeatedly when he has wronged them so badly i'm just like it stresses me out and then i think what would have happened had they killed him like i wanted him to be dead um you know it doesn't work for a show but like i just in general like yeah it's like you want that vindication but sometimes there's something in like i'm not always a big fan of like wrestling of when to kill people and all that like sometimes that gets to be too much but in this instance i do feel like it's a big moment for mother superior to not engage with vincent and focus on the mission and it really highlights to vincent in that moment just how far he is on the wrong side and just how isolated he is from these people that actually cared about him and the family that he had with the OCS. Like, I really think there's something going on where he's realized that Adriel is not, is a false God. Essentially. He's not the God that he was promised. And he doesn't have those feelings of of fulfillment among Adriel that he had around the OCS. Um, However, it's too fucking late, buddy. You're not giving up on your um, worship and Mother Superior knows your game. And I just think there's a lot of dealing with the consequences of your actions going on in that moment. Yeah. So I did enjoy it. I appreciated that she broke his leg. <laughs> it was good. It was needed. Um, 
so that brings us to the end of episode four of Warrior Nun. We had a good time talking about these two episodes. Um, it was nice to get to relish in the greatness of this show. Um, it was needed for me, especially today. And I hope you enjoyed talking with us, listening to us. Um, you can keep talking with us on, I'm just like assuming you're talking to us as you listen, I guess. Um, <laughs> you can keep the conversation going with us on Twitter at this lesbian shit on Instagram at this lesbian ship on Patreon at this lesbian ship. Please subscribe, rate, review us all the things on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And we will see you next time. Bye guys. Bye. This lesbianship is intense is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at 